Amen, amen. Um, we're going to talk about love and the atonement. Amen, love and the atonement. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. So there was a great love expended toward us when Jesus laid down his life for us. Because that scripture says that you lay down your life for your friend, but he laid down his life when we were enemies. Got me? Amen. Scarcely would a righteous man, would one give his life for a righteous man, let alone a sinner. But he gave his life while we were yet sinners. In Romans chapter 5, we'll start in verse... <clears throat> Six, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. Love is a command of God. Isn't that right? He commands us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our name. It's a command that we shed love toward other people and toward God because he commanded it toward us. It says, but God commendeth or commanded his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him, so we are justified. You know what that means? That means that everything that you have done wrong and will do wrong, God has struck, uh, struck the gavel down and judged you okay. You got me? You're acquitted. Amen? You're not guilty. Amen? Why? Because he's decided to make it so. Once you've accepted the Lord... The court of heaven has made a judgment in your favor. Before then, all the judgments of God were against us. As sinners, if we did something wrong, there was no price paid for our sin. So we had to carry the weight of our sin and the weight of the burden of our sin. All of those things made life very difficult for us. But when we came into the knowledge of Christ, confessed our sins, and received eternal life through Jesus Christ, there was a, a different judgment made for us in heaven. So when God struck that gavel in, in the court of heaven, we were judged not guilty. And God had peace with us. He made peace with us through the blood of Jesus. Amen? So that's what it means to be justified. Amen? It doesn't mean that, that God winks at sin. Uh, you know, people would, you know, used to be uh, uh, in the old churches when they would talk about uh, the woman at the well. Huh? Or the woman caught in the act. Everybody thought God was being soft on sin. But anybody he, he delivered from their troubles, he told them to go and sin no more. He said, if you do it after you know better, a worse thing will come on you. You got me? So this is no gravy life where we get away with something because justified doesn't mean that somebody else took the rap for you. You got me? It does in a sense, but what it means that that, that price was paid. You got me? That price was paid. And it does not have to be paid by you. It was paid by somebody who was capable of paying it because we couldn't pay it. 
Huh? It took a spotless, sinless life to atone for the sins of mankind. And so that's what we have in Jesus. So if he says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It's been done. It's been paid. That price has been, that blood has been shed for all of mankind. But you see what it says at the, at the end of verse 11? It says, we have received the atonement. It's like Pastor Shirley said, a gift has to be received before it will do you any good. You can know that Jesus died for sins and you can even make some type of a confession. You can even have gifts operating and all that kind of stuff. But if you've not received the atonement... You got to receive it, and there's a way you can know you've received it. Got me? You don't just take some, you know, somebody prays a prayer with you. Let's join hands, repeat after me, and you do sense a change in your life. If you were sincere with that prayer, you can sense a change in your life. But the atonement you have to receive. You have to receive within yourself the understanding and the knowledge that that verdict has been rendered in your favor. You got me? You've got to receive knowledge in, within yourself that you are reconciled to God. You're not enemies anymore. Amen? You've laid down the animosity. You've laid down the enmity. You've laid down the distance. You've laid all that down. And now you can embrace him and trust him. That's a big deal. You got me? That's a big deal. Because many people, i tell you why, people struggle sometimes in trying to get this or get that, receive this, receive that, is because they don't let it settle in on them all that Jesus has done for them. We see it all the time with people who know they're saved, know they're born again, but yet they won't stretch their faith and believe God to, to heal them when they're sick in body. And Jesus wants very much to heal people. That was what he did most of the time in his ministry. He didn't deal do many prosperity lectures. You know why? Money wasn't their problem. Sin was their problem. Oh boy, it's gonna be hard. This, huh? When he went up to Bartimaeus, he asked him, he said, what do you want me to do for him? He didn't say, give me some money. If you're blind, money's not your problem. If you're dying of AIDS, money's not your problem. See, that's why we lost so many people during the prosperity. Churches swelled up and they emptied out. Because that wasn't their problem. It's never the problem of humanity. 
If that were our problem, Jesus would have left us money. See, you take care of sin through the atonement and you've got the root of every problem you'll ever have in your life. The blood of Jesus can take care of your life so good that you won't even check your bank account sometimes to see how much is in there. Why? He says, set your affection on things that, huh, where God is. See, when your affection is set properly, the things of this earth will come to you easily because you don't struggle over them. Anything you struggle over puts work and, and stress into it. So if your affection said here, it's like if I, say for instance, if I, um, when I was a nurse, we used to do little things if you had to give, do unpleasant things to children, which we do all the time. But uh, you would throw a ball or something to distract the kid, and pretty soon you gave them the shot, and they didn't even know they had the shot. And that's what happens to us. We set our affections up there. And we're attracted to God. And things just flow into our lives with no stress and no problem. See, setting your affection on things above takes... The reason the devil messes with your finances is to get your attention back on them again. Huh? You know what we we should be in the habit of doing is dealing with the, the any kind of attack of the enemy in the same way. And say, no, devil, I'm not going to pay it. Because I've received the atonement. I've received that already. Okay. You have no right to anything. that You don't have right to my body. You don't have right to my finances. I've received the atonement. See. God's my friend now. We're not enemies anymore. We're reconciled. I can go to him as a father and expect him to do anything for me. And you have nothing to do with it. So take your hands off of anything that, that anything I have anything to do with it because I've received it. See, you, can't, you can't fool me into thinking that I haven't got what I know I've got. Amen. You know I mean? So that's where the struggle comes in. The enemy gets in there and he gets, he's able to distract us and get us to doubt that we have the atonement of God. So what is the atonement? To atone really means to cover, to wipe out, it also means to appease. So when you, when you use words like that, you get the sense that something in a relationship has been wrong. And so this atonement is an attempt to make everything right in the relationship again. See, the person who's offended has to be appeased. The one who offends has to have what's ugly about him covered up, which is sin. You got me? The other thing is that the other definition is to purge. The offending person has to be put in a position where they're not offending anymore. You got me? And so that's what the blood of Jesus did for us through the atonement. It purged us of our sins. It provides a cover for our iniquities. You got me? It's still, we still have sin working in our members. Romans 8 tells you, Paul said, don't y'all get funny about this. He said, the thing I want to do, I don't do it. I know to do the right thing. I don't do that. 
many times he said it's because sin still lives in my members. And so iniquity can provide a snare to us in some ways, but God puts a covering there so that when we operate out of the spirit, the iniquity doesn't come up and pull us back down into it because it's hindered from access to your spirit. So that's how you can be a brand new Christian and run around and tell people about Jesus and they want to hear it and you speak out of your spirit and you sound like somebody who's been saved 15, 20 years, a professional soul winner when you open your mouth. And you go back home and somebody in the house messes with you and you cuss them out and you, God, how did that happen? I was just, I was riding high when I was talking about you and well, sin lives in our members. The devil sets a snare for us. He just gets you snatched up in it. You look at yourself and say, how did I go from hmm to, huh? See, that's why you need the comforter. Okay, that's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need, huh? Not to go and pat you on the head and rub you because, oh, you poor thing. What was that word you said? I haven't heard that one out of you in a long time. No, the comforter, the, that word, uh, uh, the Greek word for comforter was really a, a term that they uh, used a lot in their, uh, their Olympic games. Pericles, Paracelsus, one called alongside to throw you that water when you're running. And if you fall down and they drag you across the finish line, huh? they undergird you with their strength. Your comforter comes to carry you across so you finish Amen. in victory. So that when you're weak, he's strong. Huh? That's the atonement. When God puts something in you, he means to strengthen you and help your life with it. He's not, you know, if you fall down, we get to go and pat you and let you have a good cry. Are you kidding me? The God that we serve knows the great potential that we have in him. He's going, that he has, that we have after we know him. So he's going to bat with us with the best that he's got. He's cheering us on. He's helping us. He's undergirding us. He's strengthening. He's your personal trainer, in other words, as the Holy Spirit is. See, that's the comfort that he gives. And he trains us so that our spirits are strong. You got me? The Bible says, you know, your outer man is perishing. But your inner man's being renewed day by day. We need to be much more concerned with the inner than we are with the outer. You know, the, word, the world is always competing with God. They want to, you know, now you got personal everything. You know, it's like you can't even think for yourself no more. And I said, personal trainer, but life coach, are you kidding me? You got the best life coach in you was paid for by the blood of Jesus. The highest price ever paid for a life coach or a personal trainer you can have. All you got to do is check in and find out what your real problem is. So to the atonement, to atone, also means to reconcile. That word that, that we see right there in Romans 5.11, that, that use of the word atonement really means reconciliation. The word reconcile, it's not like you said something to hurt my feelings, and I say, I forgive you, but I'm watching you. And that's what we do. Now, come on now. 
unless you've received the atonement and it's working in you to work this thing right. You know, somebody, you know, we got lists in our minds. And if somebody says something to us and it rubs us the wrong way, they get on that list. Huh? They do. And they stay on there. And we feel justified in having our list because they hurt me. The queen of the universe, they hurt me. Huh? And we can't stop thinking about it, can't stop talking about it. We forgave them. But I'm watching you. Huh? Sometimes we get in conversations here, a piece of a conversation where somebody else is, you know, saying something negative about them. We want to join in or we feel all justified on the inside of yeah, yeah. They don't like them either, you know. It's true. It's true. When God talks about reconciliation, he's not watching us to see if we do anything wrong again. You understand me? He, he has no recollection of it. Nothing. So if we are, if the atonement is our reconciliation back to God, that means that we're in a relationship with God that has no understanding, no remembrance, no expectation of us doing wrong again. He doesn't expect us to do wrong. And if we would take his, his thoughts within ourselves, we would expect nothing but good out of us either. And be very shocked when we do something wrong. Huh? But some of us are scared if we do something right. Well, how'd that happen? You understand? We live in a condemned mind sometimes. You know, uh, you know the, this is a wreck of a house sometimes that we live in. We've got thoughts of, of uh, uh, insecurity. We're not sure about. We don't want anybody. No, we're not sure. We're covering up everything. We've got a lot of baggage sometimes, folks. We don't want people to know who we are. As if that would make a difference to them. They're trying to fix who they are too. You understand me? And so when God talks about reconciliation, what he really means is that you are placed in a, in a place, in a relationship, again, that has no recollection. It's a brand new relationship. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Huh? Really, that word said, really is defined correctly as a new species. You've never been this breed before. Huh? You haven't been this pedigree before. You don't have anything to refer to to try and help you to learn how to be a Christian before God. You just got to go in faith with this thing because you're a whole new person that's never been here before. Huh? God is wrapped up in you. And you're wrapped up in him. And your, your mission is to live that life for God as best you can because you have no clue what this is about. That's how new you are. And so you are born again of the spirit of God and you are reconciled to God. So then God lays down all charges against you and you're justified. The gavel goes down once and for all. You don't have to be re-justified again. You are justified by his blood. If you've received the atonement, you are justified by his blood, which means that you can go to God without fear of being turned down for anything. He won't turn you down. 
And see, this is where people get a little squirrely because we're always trying to figure out how to qualify for something. What do I have to do in order to get God to? You have to receive the atonement first and foremost. Amen? And live a life of faith in God. If God gives you something to do, you have to be willing to do that no matter what it is. Because you're reconciled. See, when, when we say things like, you have to be willing to do whatever you tell, what it, no matter what it is. That's more like a threat to everybody. See, it comes across as a threat. Nobody, because we still have sin working in our members. See, that little fear, well, what's he going to tell me to do? Whatever he tells you to do, he'll qualify you to do it. You're qualified to do everything that's required. You are. You're qualified to forgive. Amen. Amen. Huh? Yes. The Bethany experience. And remember that? No Baptist church? <laughs> Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Everybody can do that. That was the first empowerment Jesus gave the disciples. And that was before the day of Pentecost. How much more after the day of Pentecost? See, you can forgive being born again without praying in tongues. And be good at it. You can love people up to a degree. You got me? It's stronger. You're a stronger witness when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've all felt that. That connect and then a disconnect. Because you didn't have anywhere higher to go, but you knew there was a higher place to go in God, so you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in tongues. You receive something, there's got to be evidence. Or it's make-believe. There are people who will tell you they got all of God they need and never pray in tongues, so it's, there's evidence. If I told you I was a pastor and I never had a church, you wonder where the evidence. You, you wonder about me. It's the truth. But we got a lot of people running around like that. Well, go to sleep. I don't care what y'all do. I'm gonna talk to you. <laughs> apostle this and apostle that, and they never apostled nothing. And run around looking for weak ministers that they can tell them, well, you, you know, you, I'll, I'll be your overseer, I'll be your covering, I'll be your, see? What's well, the truth? But see, if there's never any evidence for what you claim to possess, you're in make-believe. Huh? Most people who are called to the ministry pretty much have a flock. You got people that run after you and want to hear you say something no matter what, no matter where, if you got a living room, if you got a garage, if you got the back seat of your car. Well, not the back seat, but it depends on who you're talking to. I'm in a van. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But shepherds have sheep that follow them all shepherds do 
And you don't have to say you're one. That's the evidence. Whatever you have in God, there is evidence, folks. The things of the Spirit of God are not so spooky that we can say we have them with no evidence. If I tell you I'm a prophet, if I never prophesy, you'd wonder about that. There's got to be evidence, man. Always evidence. So reconciliation. When we are reconciled to God, every barrier that stood between us and him has been broken down, exists no more. So there's no more barriers between you and God. The only ones that are there are the ones that you build as excuses to keep you out of God's presence and to stay in a carnal mindset. Well, if I didn't do this so much, you know, God would bless me. If I didn't do that so much, well, stop doing it then. I can't stop doing it. Well, you better believe for a blessing in spite of what you're doing. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you got something that's too tough for God to deliver you from and it's standing in the way of your blessing in him, we got a problem. Houston. Hmm? There's no such situation. There's no such situation. There's nothing that this atonement doesn't take care of that you thought was a problem between you and God. Amen. It's all taken care of. Amen. Let's not invent problems. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll be walking along fine believing God for something that hasn't shown up yet. This is where we get into trouble. We want stuff that's not there yet. Instead of us believing that it's in glory, that's why we can't see it, I don't care if you name your garage glory. You ain't going to see it in there until God sends it out of his realm. These things have to come from one realm to the other. How do they get here? By the exercise of our faith. How are they stopped? By our doubts. So it's a common scenario that when you're, you are waiting for something in God, and we all, you know, you don't get to have everything parked up there just like you want it all the time. But, you know, if you're something that you're desiring from God, and it just ain't on, on the calendar for you right now, you know. We receive an inheritance, not just stuff. See, heirs are on a schedule. for when they receive things. You know that from natural life. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's, you know, uh, um, Bill Gates, you know, their kids are on a schedule. For, honey, they thought this out and wrote it down a long time ago. At age 21, if they're doing so and so and so and so, they get thus and so. It's the same thing with us. We have an inheritance in God. Other than that, we'd be the little wasteful prodigal, you know, go squander and sell everything and live with whores and all kind of stuff and then can't even get a job. There's a lot of folks like that running around. You got me? And so as God is able to help us to conform to the image of Christ, that's the primary purpose of the atonement. 
is for us to conform to the image of Christ. That's going to do you more good than anything that God would ever give you. If you're conformed to the image of Christ, you don't fall out with your daddy because you don't have all the stuff you want right away. Amen. See, part of the tantrum that we throw, well, it's taking so long. And we're really mad at Father. But then we get religious. Well, it must be that I didn't do so-and-so enough. Or I didn't do, didn't pray in tongues enough. Didn't confess the word long enough. When Jesus said, only believe. Or believe and not doubt. Believe and not make excuses. See what's happened? Your little idle mind, the devil squirreled in there and put doubt in there. It's like a plug that plugs up your faith. And once that plug is in there, then you've got to make the plug make sense to you. See, the doubt comes first. It's always hanging around. Doubt never goes anywhere. You kind of pretty much got to rebuke it, outrun it. But there's so many things that can be thrown in your way to cause doubt to manifest on you. So on your way to believing God, doubt comes in there and plugs your faith up. All you have to do is unplug the doubt, believe God again, and you're home free. Anybody that's sane in God eventually does that. See, you do it eventually. But most of us go down that dark street of doubt, making excuses, wonder what's taking so long. Let me go to the altar and complain. Let me see what's wrong here and what's wrong. When really all they have to do, all the preacher does at the altar is takes the plug out of your faith and loose your faith again. They pull that out. And the faith comes flooding out again, and you believe God again, and you're happy again, you're full of joy again. And I know it's going to happen, and I don't know why I get so upset about these things. Huh? But it's a common thing. But if you know that you received the atonement, it'll cut all of that short. Because you'll know that you can trust God. And if there's anything yet you need to do so that he can bring that to you, he's leading you into the the behavior that's going to cause that to happen. So you don't have to be up confessing the word till your tongue gets dry. And then it don't happen and you're mad at God all over. I tried the word. I tried confessing the word. Huh? But if you've received the atonement, you're justified, you're reconciled, you trust God. Huh? You get like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't care how long it takes, God. I see the devil's trying to put a wedge between me and you. You can take forever with this one if you want to, but I'm not going to fall out with you about it. You got me? You receive the atonement. You're justified, you're reconciled, and you don't want to breach that reconciliation because of a delayed answer to a prayer you don't even know if you want it anyway. I was going to say him or her, but I won't go there.
Mm-hmm. We fall out with God, we don't want to do nothing. Well, I'm not coming to the conference this time. Stay at home if you can, but we gonna have a I'm gonna I'm gonna find that spot you usually boogie in on the up here at the I'ma get in that and huh? Now wear your piece of carpet out in mine too. Huh? I don't wanna do this anymore. You got another God you can serve? I mean, they can't even talk to you. They're all dead. Huh? You can't serve something that's dead. And he can't do anything for you. People long to serve God. Hmm? So we've received reconciliation, folks. Reconciliation also means that there's no debt. You get your checkbook. I know most of us don't even look at the statement. We all we do is call somebody, try to find out what we got left, and we'd be pitiful on that, huh? My late husband, he'd sit there with the with the uh, statement, and if he found fifty cents off, oh my goodness. And I was always the guilty party. I was always the culprit. Well, it's not adding up. I said, well, how much are we off? Dollar something, you know. Huh? Oh, yeah. Hmm? Why? People who want things right want to make sure everything's accounted for. When God gave, forgave you, he accounted for everything. He accounted for every sin that you did. So don't go pondering this one thing you did when you were six years old. You took somebody's candy and you made them cry. And you sit there and get yourself in a bad mood while you save, thinking about how rotten you were when you were a six-year-old. All six-year-olds are pretty bad. They just think about themselves all the time. If you have sin in your Christian life and you've confessed it, don't go digging that back up again when you have a bad day or you're trying to figure out what it's, what's taking you so you've received the atonement. If you've received it, everything's paid for, taken care of, reconciled. No sin got through the cracks that you're not forgiven of. There's nothing there that can cause a snare of the enemy to come and separate you from the love of God. But he will try. Paul said, will tribulation, will persecution. There's a whole list of things that we go through as believers. Trying to separate us from, the, the, from receiving the atonement in the full. It's the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Which he provided for us when he died for our sins. To reconcile means to bring together those separated by an act of disobedience or betrayal. So this is deep stuff, folks. You're bringing together two parties that were separated by an act of disobedience or betrayal. That's what reconciliation is. Who can do that but God? 
you can't have enough tea uh, in, in, in parties and talks and all of that kind of stuff to reconcile people. That, that reconciliation won't take place. Even under the law of God, you know, if, say if somebody murders someone. To when you're talking about re reconciliation, you're talking about satisfying both parties. How are you going to give that life back to that individual when it's been snuffed out? So this is a difficult thing to bring reconciliation when somebody's been betrayed. Look at the people who marry someone under false pretenses and, and divorce them or something like that. It's a form of betrayal. And so we have to understand that these are, are cuts that go deep. These things damage the human soul. These aren't, you know, where something, you can get Iyanla, whatever her name is, fix my life. She can't fix this. And most of what she's trying to fix, I commend her for her skills, the skills that she has, because she does get people at least to talk again. But she always puts it on them when things don't work out. Right. See? You, you must do the work. Right. She never tells you what the work is. <laughs> See? The work is the atonement was done on Calvary. Amen. You got me? And so if she were a minister, she could get people under the blood and get them to understand what Jesus has done for them, that they can receive the atonement and they can live in harmony and peace and enjoy one another as though nothing wrong has happened before. And that's the way God lives with us. That's what he wants to enjoy. When he brought us back into fellowship with him, he left nothing out. Not even the 50 cent that my poor husband could never find. And I felt like phew, I died because I thought it was more than that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not doing my job well enough. It does all, you understand what I'm saying. I'll go there. Okay. So it's a satisfaction. Okay. To reconcile, we said to bring together those separated by an act like disobedience or betrayal. And it's satisfaction or reparation for a wrong or injury to make amends. So God's satisfied that our sins are paid for. He's, the work on Calvary totally satisfied him. Nothing we can do can undo it. Nothing we can do to make it better. Nothing we can, we do, we can do nothing to enhance the work that Jesus did. Absolutely nothing. All you have to do is believe in it, receive the benefits of it, and don't let the devil sneak, uh, steal it from you, talk you out of it. Or get you all wound up so that you believe that there's some reason why you're sick that wasn't taken care of. Or some reason why your family won't come back together again that hasn't been taken care of. There's some reason there. There's no reason. All you need to do is believe what God has done is sufficient. Let God do the work. As Miss What's-Her-Name Fix My Life lady says. Huh? Let him do the work because that work's been done and we can receive the atonement. We can receive the reconciliation. We can receive the finished work, the paid price. We can receive all of that. We can receive that God has made, Jesus has made amends to the Father for our sins and transgressions. Now any life that we've lived 
that's not pleasing to God, it's already settled. It's made amends for that. We don't have to keep reminding ourselves, how could I do such a thing? And you know how sometimes we had in blue days where you just want to get up and beat up on yourself, you know, for some reason. You ain't feeling good and you figure, ah, I'm beat up on myself a little bit. And so we have to, to make sure that we stay in appreciation. See, if you appreciate what Jesus did, you won't sit around and beat yourself up because you're mad, because you can't, your flesh can't have its way. Anger at God never comes from your spirit. Your spirit is totally satisfied with, what, uh, with who Jesus is, with who God is, and he wants to enjoy God. Your flesh wants to stop that and hinder that and put doubt in there and make it there's some something something's something's not something I didn't do something. Something's missing. It's not about our works anymore. It's about him living through us. Can we get out of the way so he can live through us? Conforming to the image of Christ is what God has in mind for us. Things that Jesus went through, we will have to experience. We'll have to taste some of it. Why? Only so that we can be conformed to his image. Now see, when you say things, things he went through. <gasps> you see? Sin's in your members still. Mine too. Because when, when something hits your ear... And it causes that knee-jerk reaction on the inside of you. That's your flesh recoiling at the heavenly experience that God wants to bring into your life. See, because you have the comforter inside of you, the strengthener, the helper, you go through life and you, you eat of the fruit of the Spirit. Your life isn't in the abundance of things anymore. And your life is not in the accumulation of things, even if you say your faith got it for you. See, we can take a, a very good faith experience and your, 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 your sinful carnal old man gets involved in it and you can start pumping yourself up in pride because your, your faith got that for you. Or, you know, my prayers, we prayed that real hot prayer that time. You saw God move and... Uh, and he moved since, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> and he can't move through all that flesh that you got built up. And so you begin to hinder your growth in Christ because now your flesh has grabbed hold of something precious and heavenly. Your flesh doesn't even understand spiritual things. So the only thing you can help it do is stay out of the way so that Christ can be formed in you. But the Bible does say if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. We got a lot of people wanting to be kings and princes and people who reign, and they don't suffer anything. So the word suffer really only means to allow something to happen in your life and trust God through it. Not lift your hand to stop it. You got me? Now we can all rebuke the devil. If you're going through a difficult time and you hit him one good time and he don't move, then you trust God to. He sustains you through all tribulation. He's not waiting to He's not putting the pressure on you to see how long you can take it to you yell uncle. 
You've been reconciled, folks. Come on now. This ain't, this ain't a... He not... See that little doubt, that suspicion that stays in there, wants to... What you mean, suffer? Well, you mean sickness? It's a healer's good. How you gonna make us suffer and we supposed to be getting healed? You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking enduring hardship for the sake of Christ so that he can be formed anew in you. See, we got a lot of people running around here with no character of God developed in them, so that's why they don't talk about stuff like this. And this is why it hurts people's ears when they hear about it. See? is because we're so accustomed to the free ride of faith instead of the good fight of faith. Faith is never a free ride. It cost him everything. And you're going to have to fight the devil to maintain yours. You're going to have to resist him so that you can, can stay in a place of righteousness where your faith works, where the power of God manifests in you on a regular basis. You're going to have to fight, baby, the good fight. See, it's a good fight because you're on the winning side. All you got to do is resist, say no, refuse him, get out of here. I'm not having it. I don't want it. You got me? That's your fight. And maintain your righteousness. That's all you do. But if you've received the atonement, you're fine with that. You got me? That's fine with you. God, there's no price too great for me. You mean all I got to do is wait until payday for my paycheck? Some of us, you know, get your check on Friday and Monday, your jaws blowed out again because you. I'm leaving this dead end job. All my money gone already. Amen. What are we going to do when God really gives you something to do for Him? And it takes character. You know, so you don't go somewhere, God invites you to go somewhere and preach and you try to take the place over and about cuss everybody out. And You understand what I'm saying? And you know, they can send me a list of demands like this long, they want this money and that money. And You understand what I'm saying? Three rooms, don't give me just one room, I want a suite. You're just coming from down the street. You understand me? You get in trouble for stepping on God's sheep. You get in trouble for stuff like that. Huh? Come in and want to rape the flock. Huh? You don't do, uh-uh, you don't get away with that with God. You kidding me? And so God has character that he develops in us. Is we going to go out and represent? Come on now. There has to be character developed. And, and character means that you trust God even though you're praying for a bill that needs to be paid or you will be set out on the street. You got me? And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And you don't break. You got me? You don't go side with the devil's people. Huh? You don't go quit serving God because you mean them people over there, they hypocrites. They, ain't none of them. They say they praying for stuff. They couldn't be praying for stuff because I'm praying too. To who? Hmm? 
fleshly character, you're not praying to God. You're not praying to a holy God. You're not a justified person. You got me? You're an unjust person. You're trying to get something that's not set for you. You're a person with greed in your eyes. Huh? God is not impressed with what we give. He's impressed with what we keep. I know preachers that give a million dollars to each other. But notice they never said, do they give you any of it? They don't give me no of it. They got their own little circle that they roll in called Little Teeny Body of Christ. And that's where they do all they giving in their little circle. And every now and then they send some mission money. But they keep the Pharisees. Huh? Pharisees gave in large amounts of money. Well, why? They had it all. They had the widow's money. They had their parents' money. They had the family's land. They had the money-changing operation. They invented Las Vegas. You get a fee, you know, they, they, at least in Vegas they don't charge a fee for yeah, But that's money change. You take dollars, currency, and change it to chips. So you can, they can, you can play their game. Well, that's, what, that's why Jesus got the whip and beat them up and sent them out of their packet. He said, no, y'all don't do that in my house. Oh, yeah. It wasn't invented. It took Las Vegas 2,000 years to catch up with what was... What was the move back there? If, they, if Bugsy Siegel had read his Bible like a good Jewish boy, he'd have known what to do a long time ago. Probably where he got the idea from. But they would have all the people coming from different provinces around to come to Jerusalem so they could worship. And if you brought your lamb, your spotless lamb, to the priest for inspection, well, there's something wrong with him. But we got another one over here we can sell you for $300 so you can. That's what they did. That's why he threw them out. You understand what I'm saying? That's why we throw people out when they come in here and we see they want to rape y'all. Huh? I'm not going to pimp people in God's house. That's out. The atonement. Hey, you've been bought with a price. Nobody can buy you back. Huh? Nobody can buy you out of this. To atone means to make a way back to a harmonious relationship. Jesus made the way back to a harmonious relationship with the Father. One of the other words for atonement is propitiation, which means an appeasement. That means that God was satisfied. His anger has been appeased. He's laid it down and he's decided that we are now friends. And as, as friends, we can much more receive from God because we have the life of his son in us now. We can be trusted, in other words. Now that we have Christ in us, we can be trusted. Before we couldn't be. But once you receive the atonement, you can be trusted. 
which means there's nothing lacking. If God tells you to do something for him, you don't have to, to pay any other price for it. You don't have to go and do anything, you know, normal preparation. But come on now, you're not lacking in anything. He gives you the ability. He empowers you. He gives you vision. He gives you the fruit of the Spirit. He gives you everything that you need to stay content while you're working for him. You're not stressed out and crazy. Propitiation means that you're the uh, appeasement of a deity to avoid divine retribution and also allowing divine favor. So it's like this. God didn't just forgive you and he's not mad at you anymore. Know how that goes. Well, I'm not mad, but we don't visit. I forgave you, but we, we ain't real thick. That was the problem. We got too, too thick before. We ain't like that no more. No, he, not, he, he is appeased 100%. And not only does he not punish us, but now we have divine favor. He wants to do good things for us. He wants to get close to us. He wants to heal us. He wants to bless us. Huh? You traded in his animosity and wrath and anger and also the, the divine judgment that was coming toward us. Now we have divine favor. We've gone from the guttermost to the uttermost in one motion. The atonement did that for us. We've received it. If you've received the atonement, you've received understanding of you have a relationship with God to that level. Divine favor is for everybody who will believe it's for you. People that, that, that walk in a place, that used to walk in a place where they struggled with everything, and now they believe in divine favor, just got knowledge of the atonement. It's nothing that, that wasn't there before. It's just now that we've come to a knowledge of it, we've received it, we're walking in it more comfortably now. Hmm? We own it now, in other words. It's like, you know, tight boots when you first get them. You take them off the minute you get home because you don't own them yet. But you know, you get, get comfortable a little bit, you get up to one hour and then two hours, and pretty soon you're just dragging around them in your favorite boots now. Huh? That's the way divine favor is with us. It's not that it wasn't there before. But because of the way we perceive what Jesus did sometimes, we don't walk in it continually. We, go, we don't know that it's available to us all of the time. That we'll believe for it and we'll just walk in it. That's all that's necessary. And so once you've received the atonement, you know these things to be real in your life. You know that you used to be a sinner and in disfavor with God, and now you have divine favor. You didn't walk with God for 10 years and earn it. It was there all the time. It was there packaged up in the finished work at Calvary. We just didn't receive the fullness of it the way God wants us to. God wants us to walk in this harmonious relationship with him. He's everything that, that we need in him has been taken care of through the atonement. It has made us one with Christ. That word atonement is also translated 
literally at one meant. So we're at one with him. My beloved is mine and I am his. Now, to be at one with someone is alluding to a marriage covenant. And that's what we have with Christ. We're not just forgiven and justified. And we're, we're in faith and we have favor and all of those things. But our relationship has been elevated now. So we have a covenant relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, our betrothed groom. Got me? See, there has to be a relationship between us and Christ for this to be real, for it to be a real family. You know what I'm saying? If he's our father and he's, Christ is our brother, born of the same spirit, not a flesh brother, but born of the same spirit, then we are to be man and wife. You understand what I'm saying? We are betrothed to Christ. That's why he refers to the church as his bride. And he is the bridegroom. And so he has an inheritance for us, a dowry for us, filled with things that he wants to bless our life with, just like somebody who loves you in the natural and wants to give you pretty things to wear with no strings attached. You got me? He's in love with us totally. Totally. And the only thing he wants to do is enhance our lives. And many times we, you know, back of our mind, we're always thinking there's something wrong with the relationship. (laughs) What do you do in the natural? You maybe, you know, engage to somebody and you think there's something wrong with the relationship. It's not like it used to be, you know, it's kind of routine. What do you do? Call and check on them. How you doing? Huh? How you doing? You doing good. I'm doing good. That's all Jesus wants. When we find that estrangement in us, he wants us to talk to him about it. We've been reconciled. There's nothing between us. If you feel like there's something between you and God, you talk to him about it. You make sure everything's everything. You pray, you worship, you go to him. You thank him for what he's done. And by the way, God, I'm just wondering. I got a few things out there I'm believing you for. Is it still cool with us? Can I still expect you to? And of course you can. See, the faith part is on you to renew your faith. And it can be renewed because you receive the atonement. That blood has paid for everything. All you got to do is step back into the realm of believing again. And it's all good. You can thank God for it. You know it's coming. You know it's an inheritance, so it's on a schedule. You know you're going to get it. You know it's going to be on time. I don't know of anybody that got anything they were waiting for from God and sent it back because it got there too late. Because he takes time with him. He takes our spirits with him. He makes the adjustment in your spirit so you have just as much joy f- with it. I don't care how long it takes as you have with it. Look at Abraham and Sarah. They was the laughing as old people. 
Oh, Abraham, let me put my teeth in so I can really laugh this time. You understand me? They was them kind of old people. And they had a baby and called him laughter. Because they knew that every time they tell somebody, guess what God did? We got a baby in there. Y'all old people got a baby. It was a joke. Huh? But what did he do? He adjusted their attitudes. He said, you call this baby joke because, you know, laughter. Because that the joke's on you. You thought it was going to happen when you were young like everybody else. But you ain't like everybody else. You belong to me. You got me? You belong to me. Abraham developed a faith in him that people nowadays in a better covenant marvel at. We couldn't imagine ourselves being in the same position he's in. And live. And get the promise. We can't imagine such a thing. But he did it and didn't have a covenant like ours. In fact, he just had a relationship with God. But it was a faith relationship. And that's what the atonement provides for us. It provides a faith relationship. You've got to believe that Jesus loves you and calls you his bride. Because in a marriage relationship, there are certain privileges that we have that if you don't receive the fullness of understanding that, you'll never walk in them. You won't walk in them. And so when you understand that when Jesus has, has said that he puts robes on us, that's a garment that, that a, a, a groom would give to the bride to make sure she's perfectly dressed so you don't have insecurities anymore. You don't have insecurities about your appearance. You don't have any insecurities about the way you talk, about your hair, or the way you dress, or the way you appear to people. Why? Because you're wearing him. You're not wearing anything the outer doesn't define you anymore. Once you know that you put on righteousness, and if there's anything lacking in you, he's got a wardrobe still that you haven't tapped into, that he's waiting to adorn you with more things so that you can be more pleasing to him. He ain't thinking about people and what they feel about you. He's dressing us up for him, not for the world. He's dressing us up for him, not for church people. He's dressing us up for him, not for people that would turn in your TV show or something like that. Do you understand me? And so when you know the beloved is yours and you're, you're his, that means that there are certain things that he's doing in your life that other people have nothing to do with. They're not privy to. Their opinion about you doesn't mean anything. Because this is between your beloved in you, he is going to marry you and take you up into heaven and he knows what you need in order to be equipped to get there. Sometimes, you know, you get on people's nerves. Well, I wish they wouldn't just look like that and talk like that. I wish they was nicer to everybody. You're not marrying that person. Jesus adorns them with what they want. Maybe they, you need to be around somebody that blabs in a tone you don't like so you'll learn how to forgive and be like him. Maybe he's adorning you with more forgiveness and you're trying to criticize that person. Maybe you're missing a few things. Hmm? Well, he says that. He said, why regard... The speck. See, Jesus sees 
Their fault that you despise is just a speck. He said, why are you picking at that little speck on them and you're not taking care of the big one, the beam in your eye? See, when we start judging his beloved, it's because there's a beam in our eye. We're blinder than blind. Judgment against the body of Christ puts a big blinder in your eye. You don't want to do that kind of stuff. You need to learn how to love people. God, if you like them, I love them. They ain't too rough for me. You got me? All I got to do is forgive them. I don't have to go live with them. I don't have to, oh, excuse me, Miss Pat. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is love them, forgive them, treat them right, and thank you. You understand what I'm saying? That I'm in the beloved. So I don't mess around and get kicked out trying to mess with people. You understand me? But Jesus is very jealous over his bride. When he says he bought you and paid for you, and he's going to get you to where he wants you to be, that means that's his business and nobody else's business but his. We don't put pressure on each other to conform to certain behaviors. We think that we like them better if they do this or that. Who do you think you are? You ain't paid for anything. Barely paid. You ain't paid for yourself. Hmm? That's the atonement, folks. That possession of God for you. Total forgiveness of sins. In the atonement is redemption. That means you were purchased out of a power that used to control you. Galatians 3 tells us Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the broken law of God. The one we couldn't keep and barely keep now, even though we got the Holy Ghost and we pray in tongues and we got the Spirit of Christ in us. We just, you know, but we're working on it. And we know we're okay with God. That's the biggest. You must know that you're okay with God. That shed blood has got to let you know you're okay with God. And if there's something you need to do, God empowers you to do it. You're not struggling to do it. You're not... Huh? Just, it's just not there. He's redeemed us from the curse of the broken law. Doesn't mean we won't break it again. But when we do, we receive the atonement and not the curse. You cannot have both of them. You hear me? When you break the law, you receive the atonement and not the curse. So you confess your sins and you receive justification, boom, the gavel goes down. You can tell when you're, you, you know you're forgiven because your conscience don't bug you anymore. Paul said his conscience bears witness with them in the Holy Ghost. You know when you're right and when you're wrong. Because the Holy Spirit in you lets you know that. You can't assume rightness. You've got to know rightness. But if you've received the atonement, it pays for everything that you need. There is nothing lacking. There's no, no illness you can't get rid of because of. There's no, no uh, penalty that, that's coming to you anyway. Be, you're waiting for people to, 
to get even with you? Are you waiting for creditors to come and take something? I don't think so. You receive the atonement. You're allowed the mercy of God. God, please don't let them people come and get my car. Bring me some money so that I get this paid for. I'm your child. I've received the atonement. I'm not going down under the curse. You've got to live in it every day. You've got to understand that it's working for you every day. Christians are always looking for a way out of being responsible for things. When Jesus said, lay it on me, he said, I took stripes for your healing. Huh? He said, lay it on me, everything, lay it on me. You don't have to, you can own up to it, but confess it, carry it into the confession room. And get it off of you and put it on me. And receive what you need from life. I've taken care of that. You receive the atonement, you don't get the curse. People linger with things because they don't confess. I'll tell you what's wrong with Christians. We think when we've been saved a long time, we can't apologize to people, we can't be sorry for nothing, we can't confess our sins no more. Well, the, the blood's not doing you any good if you're standing on this side of obedience. It's doing you some good if you get into obedience. You give people a hard time, you know that's wrong. You go to them, make it right. Reconcile with your brother. Get that out of the way. Let that stand between you and God. There's too much on the right side of obedience for you to let a little pride thing stand in your way of receiving it. You got me? The gentleman that had the healing rooms. Oh, jeez. Who was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, he would, would minister to people. And he was smart enough in God. See, this is where you get smart in God. You understand the efficacy of the blood. Right? It works for confessed sinners. That's why death row is so full. Everybody up there innocent. I didn't do it. Uh-huh. It works for confessed sinners. The, you remember the thieves on the cross? See, you know, the one that, that received, he said, we're guilty of what we did. This man has done nothing. See, that confession of guilt is what got him. He wasn't buttering Jesus up so he could get into heaven. He saw what he was wrong. He said, I'm, they're right for crucifying me. I did wrong. The other guy mocked him in his pride. Still holding on. I'm innocent. I didn't do it. He on death row and, and eight rose up. The other guy was in paradise that afternoon. With Abraham and all the swinging people of faith. Huh? Probably lived a, was a thief all his life and he up there with Abraham. You got me? The atonement. He received the atonement. Abraham had to receive the benefit of that as well. You got me? He believed God on the level that he understood God. There was no Jesus going to the cross in Abraham's day. But he believed God on the level that he knew God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. How do you, what do you care about how it's delivered or what, what era it's delivered in? If God judges you righteous, you in there. If you're 11th hour thief on the cross and God, and you, you receive the atonement, you're in there. 
But see, we've received that. See, it works effectively for people who know how to appreciate it and how to not play it cheap and how to not try to cut corners to get something from God rather than going through the blood. You got me? You've got to receive the atonement if you want God to work for you. If you want this thing to work for you, you've got to receive that. There's no curse when you receive that. There's no sickness. There's no poverty. You know, people would, would, would uh, sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus songs. And go out and get jobs. Go out and get... They prospered. You'll see documented cases that businesses begin to sprang up. and Bars would shut down and better businesses come up. Why? Because they received the atonement. The power of the blood was known and it was real. And they, put, they, they based all of their faith on the fact that they received the atonement. It's not based on our works. Your faith won't work worth two cents if you're an angry, mean, judgmental person. It won't do it. It works by love. If you're a loving, forgiving, giving person, your faith will work beautifully all the time. That's the basis of our Christianity. That's what keeps all of the denominations that are Christian. That's what we all have in common. We know the power of forgiveness. We know the power of the blood to cleanse from all unrighteousness. So if you've received the atonement, you've received everything God has for you. Learn what's in it. Learn what it's about. Learn what your life is like when you put your confidence and your faith in it. And decide you're going to live that way forever. John G. Lake with his healing rooms <clears throat> had an anointing that when he prayed for people, they would get healed. Every now and then he would pray for somebody that couldn't get healed. And his wife operated beautifully in the word of knowledge. And she would find out what was wrong in that person's life. Unconfessed sin. Why? You can't have the atonement and have sickness at the same time. You've either received the atonement or you haven't received it. And when you've received it, it's a simple thing. Will it hurt you to say, God, please forgive me? I see that's wrong. I've broken your law. I've offended you. Does that hurt you to say that? Well, see, people walk around crippled. They walk around blind. They walk around in all kinds of conditions simply because they have not received the atonement. You receive it through confessing your sins and accepting Christ and saying, I want the life of sin no more. And Holy Spirit, when you catch me doing something I'm not supposed to do, please remind me and I'll confess it and I'll get it out of the way because I want this life more than I want ever anything. I don't want the old life anymore. I want this life and I want to stay in this life. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for people. Little Howard, you want to put some music on? It's time for us to pray so that we can get you healed. And I know those of you on the front row, <clears throat> praise God, I was asking that you would sit here because I really wanted the anointing to work for you. I believe that at the altar of God is where God meets you in power. And I realize that there are certain times where you can get healed through other means, but 
I believe the altar because I can sense the greater power here and I can sense a greater anointing here. And so I'm going to ask those of you who want prayer to come on up and I'll pray for you and we'll ask God to minister to you and get you healed today. You want to be healed today. You've received the atonement. You believe that Jesus wants you well. You believe also that there was a full price paid. There's nothing like you don't need to do anything. You just need to believe what I've told you about the Lord today. Believe that he wants you well. You're not condemned anymore. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no reason why you can't receive it. And just don't let doubt continue to hinder you and make you wonder. You know. You know that you're healed. You know that he, he uh, bore stripes for your healing. And that work has been complete. And Ms. Nola, you want to line the people up that want to come up to be prayed for?
worship God for just a moment. We talked about one sound. Everybody say one sound. There is a kingdom sound. There is a kingdom sound. Everybody say that. There is a kingdom sound. Say it again. There is a kingdom sound. And I want you to understand this, that there is always a sound that precedes a move of God. Everybody say that. There's always a sound that precedes the move of God. Whenever you will find deliverance, wherever you will find healing, wherever you find a move of God, it is always associated with a sound. I want us to take just maybe 30 seconds and we're going to we're going to sing this song. We're going to raise it as an offering to the Lord, but I want us to take about maybe just 30 seconds if you will. Brother, I just want you to minister on that on that guitar. 